Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Rossafari Zoo News. If this is your first time zoo newsing with us, then that means it is your new zoo news. Then uh, welcome. This is exactly what it sounds like. It is a new show about the news happening this week in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, animals in general, all that good stuff. Also, let's be honest, I say it's the news from this week, but basically everything we find nowadays is asynchronous because that's how the internet works. So sometimes it's news from this week or stuff I missed from last week or whatever. But hey, it's interesting, it's newsy, and we keep it fresh and we keep it fun. We also keep it crowdsourced. Uh, in case you're new here, again, I just want to remind, or heck, even if you're, you're not new here and you just need a little poke, you can always send me any news or conservation or animal stories that you find. You can email me, rasafaripod at gmail.com, or... On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you can find me at Rossafari and message me there, those different stories, or just tag me in them. Also, make sure you are following all of those things because uh, I post cool stuff. I've been told that by not just me, but also some of my friends and my mom. So that's good, right? Maybe? Anyway, y'all, I gotta tell you, I have had an absolutely crazy last, oh, I don't know, week and a half or so. I am recording this on, let's see here, Wednesday, September 22nd. And uh, my show closed at Northern Stage on Sunday the 12th. So in the last 10 days, I have been everywhere. Uh, I spent two days hanging out with Miles and then went to the Pittsburgh Zoo one day, the Erie Zoo the next day, the Buffalo Zoo the next day. On Saturday the 18th, I spent International Red Panda Day at the Columbus Zoo and then went back on the 19th because it's the Columbus Zoo and being there is amazing. Then on the 20th, it was back to the uh, Buffalo area to hit up the Buffalo Zoo again. And then on the 21st, shot across the border to Toronto and uh, went to the Toronto Zoo. Now, if you've been with this podcast from the beginning, then you will remember that one of my earliest episodes was with Lisa Termini, a keeper there, who takes care of some red pandas, amongst uh, other things. Well, Lisa and I have stayed buds since doing the episode over Zoom because our border was closed at the time. And uh, this was our first time actually getting to hang out together. And it was magnificent. Uh, I'll be sure to post some some photos coming up soon, uh, both on my main feed and in my stories. Um, and yeah, it was just a great time. Uh, Lisa let me hang out with a wombat, which was really cool. That's the first time I ever met a wombat. 
I got to meet the two red pandas that are currently at the Toronto Zoo, one of whom is leaving soon. That's Adira, also known as Baby Red. And the other one of whom is Suva. My two most liked photos ever both happen to be of Suva. So uh, that was pretty cool to finally get to connect with him. And then hang out with some camels as well. It was wonderful. I had a really great time. And I just want to say thanks to Lisa and uh, everyone at the Toronto Zoo for that experience. And then uh, today, uh, before heading home, I got a little bit of time at a zoo with some pandas, some giant anteaters. Can't tell you where yet, though, because it's going to be an upcoming episode. Did a couple of couple interviews there. Might be two episodes. Not really sure yet. And I, I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, that has been my last 10 days, and it has been marvelous. All right, well, there's your little quick update on me, and I hope that y'all are having an amazing time as well. And uh, now I'm going to play an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so without further ado, I think it is time to get into our newsy stories. Uh, so here's a song. Zoo news, zoo news. It's the news that's about zoo, zoo news. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, and so since I started off there by talking about my recent trip to the Toronto Zoo, I'm going to also do a follow-up story from, uh, I think, last week. I think it was last week when I told you about the fact that the Toronto Zoo now has scannable QR codes that you can use to do a symbolic animal adoption right there on the animal enclosure. So when you see a lion and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in love with this lion, all you have to do is hold your phone camera up and tap the little linky link and you can do a digital virtual adoption of said lion. No having to think about it later. No having to remember when you go home. You can walk away having adopted the lion that you were looking at. And they're doing this for a bunch of animals and it's really cool. Well, first of all, I can now confirm firsthand that the, the Toronto Zoo is doing this because I saw them everywhere. Lions had them cheetahs. It was really cool. But also, they had another thing set up by their baby tiger. I mean, it's really all their tigers, but everyone's going to see the baby tiger, right? And it was just a sign that said that if you wanted to donate $5 to their cause there, to the Toronto Zoo, because you like the tigers, you could do it right there. It wasn't even QR code based. It was literally a reader for the type of credit cards that you just tap the edge on. And um, yeah, it makes a little dingy noise and you've donated $5 to your Toronto Zoo. 
How amazing is that? I love seeing the innovations in signage at zoos, not just because they're getting better at getting information out, but also because this is such a great example of capturing the moment where someone is passionately moved by an animal and then getting them to turn it into an actual tangible thing that they do, be it donating $5 or doing a symbolic adoption. This is just amazing to me. And I have the feeling that the Toronto Zoo and, and other places that are amazing at this kind of thing, like the Georgia Aquarium, are just at the beginning of figuring out how to use newer technologies to improve their signage. And now we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, the in-situ conservation efforts being done through and at zoos. Now, you may be wondering what I mean when I say in-situ conservation being done at a zoo, but a lot of times the in-situ conservation work does start at the zoo, maybe with a breeding program or a Head Start program for animals, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, nearly 1,000 eastern spadefoot toads are being released into the wild by Roger Williams Park Zoo. They are being introduced to three artificial breeding sites in Rhode Island in efforts to expand the range of this statewide endangered species. Operation Spadefoot Rhode Island is made possible by the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, the University of Rhode Island, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, the Natural Resource Conservation Service of the USDA, the South Kingstown Land Trust, Rhode Island Natural History Survey, and, of course, Roger Williams Park Zoo. And, you know, I name all those partners with the zoo, not just because they deserve recognition, too, but because it's amazing to me that it takes all of those different agencies and groups and just humans from all different areas to do a project like this. I honestly find that level of teamwork, especially with government involved, just incredible. In fact, I guess you could say the whole project is... Totally awesome. Uh, and of course, you may have guessed it, but of course, all of this is being spearheaded by our good friend Lou Parati at Roger Williams Park Zoo. The man is phenomenal. And if you haven't heard his episode yet, go check it out. The National Zoo in Washington, D.C. has announced that all lions and tigers at the zoo have tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19. All of the great cats are being treated with medication and are under close observation. At this point, there is nothing more to report on the story, but this just serves as a reminder that this disease is real and does not just affect humans. Mask up and vaccinate yourselves, y'all. Maybe one day we'll get to do a Zoo News episode where I don't have to say that because I'm not doing a story about this stupid disease. Maybe. Someday. Anyway, have you heard of the wilds in Cumberland, Ohio? It's the safari park that is owned by the Columbus Zoo, and it is really beautiful and amazing there. Highly recommend going and checking it out and taking a tour if you get the chance. Uh, I've been a couple times, and it's always fabulous. Anyway, The Wilds has teamed up with the Center for Conservation and Research of Endangered Wildlife, also known as CREW, at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens, along with Disney's Animal Kingdom, George Mason University, 
The Southeast Zoo Alliance for Reproduction and Conservation, which is commonly known as CESARC, and you're going to hear on this podcast very soon, and it's going to be really, really awesome, and Stellenbosch University in South Africa have teamed up to form the American Institute of Rhinoceros Science, also known as AIRS, a model for saving species with science outside of their native habitat. Ayers will be based at the wilds and is going to be focusing on priorities such as physical fitness and its relation to health, iron storage in browsing rhinos. I don't know why I said iron instead of iron. That was weird, but I'm going to leave it. Anyway, reproductive success and behavioral and environmental factors that maximize rhino well-being. Heirs will also provide affordable and feasible management recommendations to veterinarians and animal care staff at the 74 AZA-accredited facilities currently caring for rhinos. Given the insane amount of rhino poaching that is going on right now, the populations that are in captivity are more important than ever for the survival of the species, and Heirs absolutely aims to make their lives as good as possible. I will never not love hearing about collaborations like this. This is awesome. I can't wait to see what Ayers ends up doing for rhino conservation. On a much sadder note, the John Ball Zoo in Michigan is mourning the death of its 18-year-old snow leopard, Elsie. Elsie was amongst the oldest known snow leopards in human care and had been doing really, really well until about a week before she passed away when she was diagnosed with advanced kidney failure. They gave a variety of treatments, but unfortunately Elsie did not respond, and as such, the zoo made the tough decision to humanely euthanize her. Fortunately for fans of snow leopards at the John Ball Zoo, the zoo actually recently just got a four-year-old snow leopard, Milo, from the Toronto Zoo, so they will not have to go without seeing their favorite species. Still, it's always sad to lose a beloved animal, but man, an 18-year-old snow leopard who got veterinary treatment when her kidney had problems. I gotta tell y'all, sometimes I think that being a zoo animal might be the good life. Our thoughts and condolences go out to everyone at the John Ball Zoo. Many zoos and aquariums have teamed up to support the Wildlife Trafficking Alliance by hosting a digital auction on eBay. You can get all kinds of cool stuff. The Pacific Seas Aquarium has a behind-the-scenes tour for five people. There's a wild zoo tour at Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium. An animal experience at the Ogle Bay Good Zoo. I have done a bunch of those. They are amazing. A Squam Lakes Natural Science Center gift pack. Zooquarium Online Learning by Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium, a painting from some of the African penguins at Adventure Aquarium, uh, North Carolina Zoo admission tickets, and zoo swag package. Guys, there's a ton of really, really cool stuff here. Zoo Atlanta has a private behind-the-scenes elephant experience up for grabs right now. And y'all, I gotta tell ya... I'm not entirely sure why, but it seems like a whole lot of people have not found this yet. There's still a week to go, but I will tell you, a lot of these amazing things do not have any bids on them yet. 
And trust me, there are a lot of things that you want to bid on here. I mean, y'all, we are talking a rhino experience at Woodland Park Zoo, a Georgia Aquarium shark cage dive experience. Come on, this is amazing. A sea turtle gift pack from Sea Turtles, which I may have to bid on and maybe you shouldn't. A keeper adventure tour for two at Northwest Trek Wildlife Park. Wild connection with red pandas at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Come on y'all you need to be checking this out this is a great cause and there are amazing prizes i'll put the full link in the show notes but you can also find it just by searching for wildlife trafficking alliance on ebay and that brings us to conservation conservation news time oh yeah Well, here's something you don't get every day, a reminder to kill an animal for the sake of conservation. People living in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and even parts of West Virginia are going to be seeing a ton of spotted lanternflies right now. Now, if you don't know what they look like, you should hop online and look them up because you are supposed to kill these little buggers. And I can totally call them that because they're, you know, bugs, if you get the chance. The spotted lanternfly is an invasive species that does a ton of damage to flora and fauna in the areas that it invades. It spreads really quickly, too. So literally, if you see one, kill it. If you see two, kill them both. State and federal governments are asking people to kill spotted lanternflies if they see them. As a matter of fact, you may remember my episode with the Pen Vet Working Dog Center from last year. And if you don't, go back, check it out. It's very cool and very different than a lot of the other episodes that I do, although they're all cool, too. And uh, they talked about the fact that they were doing research to see if they could train dogs to detect spotted lanternflies. That is a project that they are still working on, but is successful, and there is at least one spotted lanternfly detection dog out in the world doing the work right now. They're also working on dogs that can sniff uh, for COVID-19, so just lots of cool stuff. Go check out that episode if you haven't. But anyway, it's not every day that you'll hear a conservation educator telling you to go out and kill an animal, but if you see a spotted lanternfly, kill it. For the last 10 years, the National Aquarium in Baltimore, Maryland, has been developing floating wetland technology. And while studying the technology, they have found that plants and bacteria growing on the floating wetlands draw excess nitrogen from the water, helping reduce algal blooms. What is a floating wetland, you ask? Well, basically, in many urban harbors around the world, native wetlands have been devastated due to coastal development. Restoring marine habitat is absolutely critical to supporting ecosystem restoration, preserving biodiversity, and improving water quality. But it's really hard to find the space to save this stuff. I mean, humans suck. We know this. And uh, so the idea here is that they will actually build patches of ground that sit on top of the water and serve as wetland. They, they do all the things that the, the normal wetlands would do until we killed them off to build things that are very important, like McDonald's. And, um, 
Yeah, so now they just sit out in the water and do the same job. These are man-made, but, but you know, of natural grasses and stuff. And it's just, it's incredible technology, the work that's going into them. So yeah, floating wetlands. Who knew? But I'll tell you this, given that both the episodes about coral and the manatee episodes from Moat Marine Lab recently talked about how absolutely important it is to get excess nitrogen out of the water, this may be a huge technology for conservation moving forward. All right, for our next story, we are going to throw it halfway across the world to our senior Australian news correspondent, Ren Howell of Wildlife Sydney Zoo. Friendly reminder, Ren only does this for y'all to spare you my horrible Australian accent, even though I think it's awesome. Anyway, take it away, Ren. Thank you, John Farrar. Once again, saving your listeners. Zoos Victoria is this week proud to announce that an Australian species has been brought back from mainland extinction. Eastern barred bandicoots are a small nocturnal marsupial who were once widespread across the grasslands and woodlands of Western Victoria and South Australia. If you're not so sure of what they are, I seriously recommend going to check them out. They are absolutely adorable. In 1989, the total population was fewer than 150, and in 2013, the species was officially declared as extinct in the wild on mainland Australia. The decline of the eastern barred bandicoot was primarily due to loss of habitat and threat from foxes. Zoos Victoria partnered with a number of organisations to play a key role in the recovery of this species. Since 1991, they have bred more than 650 bandicoots, which have now been reintroduced into three predator barrier fenced areas on the mainland with a fourth population released on Churchill Island. While they do ensure the captive population is released into fox-free sites, they are actually also conducting a trial to see if marimer dogs can protect the eastern barred bandicoots from predators as well. The dogs have been trained to let the bandicoots live out their lives uninterrupted. They protect the sheep that live in the same area as the bandicoots from predators such as foxes and feral cats, in turn keeping the predators away from the bandicoot. With all of this happening, it has this week officially been announced that the conservation status of the eastern barred bandicoot has been reclassified from extinct in the wild to endangered, and the now 1,500-strong population is facing a much brighter future. The change status is a first for an Australian threatened species and enables Zoos Victoria to end its 30-year captive breeding and insurance program. Pretty awesome news coming out of Zoos Victoria. With all of that, it's back to you, John. Thank you, Ren. Congrats to Zoos Victoria. That's amazing. And how cool is it that there are conservation dogs in action in Australia helping out the bandicoots right now? I guess you could say that they are really bandicute. No? No. Okay, okay. Sheesh. A new study is shining light on the plants that red pandas eat, and it turns out that they're not just munching on bamboo like we all thought. Okay, so we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but um, pandas are weird. They're adorable, but they're weird. They are carnivores that eat mostly bamboo, which isn't a carnivorous type of thing. It's it's herbivorous, right? But uh, that's what they do. They've got the insides of a carnivore and they eat mostly bamboo, although it is well documented that they will eat birds and eggs and bugs and all that kind of stuff too. 
However, the thing that has definitely been known is that they eat bamboo. That is the plant matter that they eat. Well, it turns out that at least the pandas and the Himalayas may not just be eating bamboo anymore. According to an extensive fecal study that has been performed in the Himalayas and then reported in the publication Scientific Reports, it turns out pandas eat a lot of different kind of plants. Uh, So they do eat a ton of bamboo, as we know. But apparently in the wild, their diet also depends on Leposaurus ferns and other broadleaf taxa like Betula, Engelhartia, Rhododendron, and Quercus. And I'm pretty sure I said at least some of those right. Pretty sure. Anyway, this is super interesting for a variety of reasons. First of all, we don't know if this is a change that has happened recently as bamboo has become more scarce in certain areas? Is this a new evolutionary adaptation that pandas are, you know, doing to stay alive? Unsure. Also, it's important for policymakers to know this so that those other plants can also be protected along with the areas of bamboo forests that need to be protected to save the panda. So, in general, it's just a really interesting study that can help shape the future of red panda conservation. Oh, and speaking of red pandas, which is mostly what I do in my life, um, when I was at the Columbus Zoo celebrating International Red Panda Day last Saturday, I was told that there is a Barbie movie that features a red panda. It's called Barbie and the Island Princess, And there's also a documentary that is basically done by Barbie that is separate called Barbie and Her Animal Friends that teaches about her different animal friends, including red pandas. No, I have not watched either of these movies. But yes, I totally plan to. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But if you have any Barbie fans in your household or are just a big nerd like me and are willing to watch anything about red pandas, including animated Barbie specials, there you go. Barbie and the Island Princess and Barbie and her animal friends exist. You're welcome. Apparently, in South Africa... A battle royale between endangered species played out with neither species winning. That's right, y'all. Apparently, a bunch of African penguins were killed by a swarm of bees in South Africa, though the bees also suffered many casualties. In fact, 63 penguins were found dead at a colony in Simonstown near Cape Town, South Africa. The deaths occurred suddenly between a Thursday afternoon and Friday morning, and uh, instantly experts seeing the dead birds decided to start researching. And sure enough, all of the penguins had multiple bee stings, and also a bunch of dead bees were found at the site where the penguin bodies were found. Many of the bees seemed to target the eyes of the penguins, making me think that they watched The Office and learned their attack strategies from Dwight K. Schrute. But all jokes aside, this is a kind of horrific story. Uh, It is believed by the scientists that are studying the uh, occurrence, including members of SANCOB, who we've talked about on here a bit, um, that this is a fluke and won't happen again, uh, but no one really knows what happened. Just a bunch of bees and penguins fought it out, and a lot of both of them died. 
Kind of crazy. I guess we'll keep an eye out to see if uh, anything else comes up like this. This is just one of those stories that I wish I had a better ending for, but there really isn't one. It's just a thing that happened and is kind of crazy. And finally this week in conservation news, uh, scientists are going to attempt to bring the woolly mammoth back from extinction. Roughly 10,000 years after woolly mammoths vanished from the face of the Earth, scientists are embarking on a project to bring them back to the Arctic tundra. The idea of doing this has been around for a couple of decades now, but uh, recently a bunch of new funding has gone into the project, and scientists believe that the new funding could be enough to make this happen. You see, um, there was just $20.4 million raised by the bioscience and genetics company It's Colossal, co-founded by Ben Lamb, a tech and software entrepreneur, and George Church, a professor of genetics at Harvard Medicine, who has pioneered new approaches to gene editing. In a related story... George Church, a professor of genetics at Harvard Med who has pioneered new approaches to gene editing, and Ben Lamb, co-founder of the bioscience and genetics company It's Colossal, announced today that they have not seen Jurassic Park nor any of its sequels. In other So, as y'all know, a lot of my Zoo News stories that I say here are crowdsourced. People send me these things, and then I put them into the show, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes, though, it can be challenging because someone will send a story that I already reported on, and I have to remember whether I already did this or not, and then read it and see if it's an update or whatever. So when I got this next story uh, sent to me, I, I read the headline and thought, oh, this is a duplicate from last week because it starts off and says, I think I see a zebra. Police released 911 call regarding zebras running loose in Wisconsin. And then I remembered the loose zebra story that I did last week was in Maryland. What is going on, y'all? But that is correct. Right outside the town of Seymour, Washington, there were a couple of zebras walking down the middle of the road, and a man called in to 911 to report it, making sure to say, and if you think I'm kidding, I'm not, to the dispatcher. The zebras were found wandering down the road, but the person who found them and called 911 scared them off the road a little bit and into a big hayfield so that they wouldn't be hit by cars. Apparently, the zebras were owned by a local resident who has proper permitting, and they were quickly returned to said resident where they appear to be living happy, good lives. So I guess if there's anything you can take away from Zoo News the last two weeks, it's that it's totally cool to own zebras. Just be careful because they'll wander off. Uh, P.S. I don't actually think it's a good idea for random people to be, you know owning zebras, especially because they wander off. A recently published study looking at how elephant trunks work shows that elephants are even more impressive than we thought. 
Everyone always kind of thought that the elephant just uses its trunk like a straw, but it turns out that elephants are able to dilate their nostrils to boost their trunk's carrying capacity when snorting up water. This is really interesting. Using ultrasound to monitor what happens inside an elephant's trunk, researchers found that the nostrils volume ballooned by as much as 64% and that the flow rate of water through the trunk averaged about 3.7 liters per second, the equivalent of the amount of water pouring out of 24 shower heads at once. Based on the amount and rate of water snuffed up by an elephant, researchers estimated that airflow through the narrow nostrils could at times exceed 150 meters per second, which is more than 30 times as fast as a human sneeze. Kind of amazing that we're still learning just kind of how trunks function at a basic level, given that elephants are so popular and have been in captivity for so long. But uh, it's really amazing to see how powerful trunks are. And that's why I always choose to wear swim trunks and never a Speedo. Okay, no, that's, that's not why. And now it's time for... Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! All right, so uh, remember, this is September, which is Save the Koala Month. And uh, this week starts on Friday the 24th, which is World Gorilla Day and World Cassowary Day. So a uh, big day for Australian creatures when we're trying to save cassowaries today and koalas all month. Oh, and actually, despite the fact that it's Save the Koala Month all month, the 24th is also Save the Koala Day, which I guess is a particularly focused day in the middle of their month. Anyway, it's sure to be a quality day. Oh, uh, y'all were cassowary that I was going to make a bad joke, weren't you? Yeah, you were. Anyway, Saturday, September 25th, is International Rabbit Day and National Lobster Day, and also the last day of Sea Otter Awareness Week. Then we get to September 26th, which is Sunday, and is Black-Footed Ferret Day and World Rivers Day. Then on Wednesday, the 29th, it is Goose Day. And we're talking about the animal here, not the other kind of goosing. No grabbing booties on goose day, y'all. At least, you know, not without consent. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. We have done it again. Rasafari Zoo News is done for the week. But don't worry, we'll be back on Tuesday with an awesome interview episode and then next Friday with your Zoo News again. I'd like to say a special thank you to Lara Shank and PJ Bevan, my Red Panda level patrons. And don't forget, you can check out patreon.com slash rossafari to support the pod and get cool stuff in exchange. Also, I'd like to say thank you to Kim Cooley, Peter Oilo, Danny Poirier Larson, Ren Howell, and Emily Begay for sending me stories this week. Appreciate y'all. If you want to hear your name said at the end of the episode, you know what to do. Send me stories. And remember, folks, the term newsy credits backwards is Steiderk Yeswen. Yeswen.
The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.